Celebrating Humanity in Space on Yuri's Night, this week on Planetary Radio. My name is Christy Fair. I am the event coordinator. I am actually the power behind the throne. It has been my honor, my honor and privilege to work with some of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. I had this opportunity back in 2012 to start as a volunteer, and I was so inspired by Loretta Whitesides and George founding this idea that it moved my heart. Nothing could express my heart and how much love I have for the world and humanity like this global interstellar opportunity. I don't know if people know, but Mars Curiosity sang happy birthday to us at a Yuri's night. We are an interstellar organization. Not everybody can say that, and I'm really proud to be part of it. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. Yuri's night is back. It never left, of course, but the celebration was virtual the last two years, That's why it was such a joy to be once again under Space Shuttle Endeavor at the California Science Center, with over 1,300 people dancing, laughing, exploring, and enjoying. And this was just one of the many parties around the world. Join me for conversations with a few of the great guests who turned out, including Yuri's Night founders George and Loretta Whitesides, and Star Trek Voyager stars Robert Picardo and Tim Russ. 584 of our human colleagues have flown in space. That number is growing fast now, with many more people journeying above the von Karman line, that fairly arbitrary threshold of space that starts 100 kilometers or 62 miles above our heads. I expect there will be thousands within a few years, someday millions. We need to remember those who went first, from Yuri Gagarin through the Apollo astronauts like Dave Scott. The April 15 edition of the Downlink features a beautiful image of Scott exiting the Apollo 9 command module as it floats over our cloud-covered planet. You can see it at planetary.org downlink, where you can also read about the weird weather observed on Neptune. No one knows why it has been experiencing wild swings in temperature. I guess we'll have to go there, as my recent guests Brenda Clyde and Kirby Runyon told us. Also in the downlink is that biggest ever comet now seen to be entering our solar system. You know, that one that's coming straight at us, according to some news sources? Well, it's not, unless you count a billion miles as a near miss. What's not in the downlink is the just-released and long-awaited planetary science and astrobiology decadal survey from the National Academies here in the United States, Here to give us a top-level review is the Planetary Society's Senior Space Policy Advisor and Chief Advocate, Casey Dreyer. Casey, I bet you have already read much more of this brand-new report than I have. What I have read is wonderful. It's a terrific document. All, what, 780 pages of it, I think? I can recommend it to other lay people, which is what I count myself as. It's a terrific read. Yeah, it is. It's a for a long document, a report from the National Academies of Sciences. It's certainly one of the more engaging ones, particularly if you love this stuff like we do. It summarizes the state of the field. I think that's an important aspect of this report. It's not just making recommendations for missions. It's telling you 
what the big questions are that face the entire scientific community. It tells you what they've learned in the last 10 years. It gives you a summary of what we understand about all of these major bodies in the solar system. It is just a real wonderful testament to the ability of humans to understand the natural world around us and then also make decisions about how we approach the unknown. I wish every day was decadal survey day, Matt, after <laughs> reading through this. With our very limited time, I'm sure what people want to hear about are, are some of those missions. Uh, let's start at the top with the flagship recommendations. The most explicit recommendation they make, the top priority for NASA's robotic program in this decade is to complete Mars sample return. Yeah. That is the top thing that NASA must do in a, in as practical, what does it say, in as efficient manner as possible, as soon as practicable. And so this has already begun. We're in the midst of it. It's the biggest science robotic program what we have right now. Its budget next year will be larger than all of NASA's heliophysics division. They want to move it through. After that, for new flagships, the top recommendation, it's actually the number three recommendation from the previous decadal survey, right? So we've done the first two sample return in Europa Clipper, number three, now number one, a Uranus orbiter and probe. So get used to those jokes for the next 30 years, because that's where we're going. <laughs> and then we have a, a, an orbiter lander a mission to Enceladus would be the second flagship if it fits within the budget process of, of the next 10 years. So Uranus and an ice giant mission, dedicated ice giant mission for the first time is the top new flagship recommendation. Something we are all so excited about. Also, great recommendations regarding the New Frontiers and Discovery Mission classes. Not only are they recommending the Enceladus uh, Orbilander, but another mission. Was it, a, I think, a New Frontiers mission, a flyby mission of Enceladus? And it says something about how important they think uh, it is that we visit this moon. Yeah, New Frontiers, these are the mid-class. They recommend a, a bump up to about $1.6 billion per project. And they have a predefined list of destinations that scientists can propose ideas to, right? So you can't just send anywhere. You have to use this pre-approved list. Enceladus is on that list. Io is on that list. We also have uh, the South Pole Aiken Basin at the moon and another Venus mission. So there's a number of potential opportunities that I'll designate or represent, I should say, high priority science destinations. One other thing we have to mention is the tremendous emphasis they put on planetary defense and getting that Neo Surveyor mission underway, right? Absolutely. This is the first time that the Decadal Survey for Planetary Science has considered planetary defense within its purview. NASA directed them to do so when it asked for this report two years ago. And it came out very strongly saying that Neo Surveyor, our space-based infrared telescope that we are fighting so hard for, should be the priority for planetary defense going forward in this decade, that we need to wrap this mission up as soon as possible and really start looking for these near-Earth objects that could potentially be hazardous to Earth. It's a no-brainer in many ways, but unfortunately, this is the one mission NASA really singled out next year for a $100 million cut. That's two-thirds of its budget. So now we have the Decadal Survey also weighing in saying this is valuable. So this will really help us push back on that proposed cut next year and to keep that mission going forward. So much more that we could say, and we will. So stay tuned to uh, Planetary Radio and Planetary Radio, the Space Policy Edition. Uh, amazingly, Casey, <laughs> in a record uh, turnaround, you actually have an article up already at planetary.org that uh, gives a good deal more detail. So uh, congratulations on that. 
Thank you. It's what I did instead of sleeping last night, and it was absolutely <laughs> worth it. But again, this is a. I'm still reading through this. This is a long report. I'm reading through. We'll have more coverage of this in the next few weeks, including a deeper dives into this. But I already have some great budget numbers comparing the proposed program going forward to past times of, of decadal periods in planetary science. A lot of really good stuff in the article. Really recommend it. Been tweeting about it a lot recently, and some really good discussions already among planetary scientists about what this means for the field going forward. So this is a big deal. If you can hear the energy in my voice, this is a big deal. We, we will be talking about this, Matt, for the next 10 years. <laughs> is that all? Well, Maybe we'll, longer. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it will be longer. In fact, they were talking about some stuff that may not happen till the 2050s. Eat your vegetables, everybody, <laughs> and do your exercise because these are long games we play. Wish me luck. Uh, we will, of course, put a link up to that article by Casey that I mentioned on this week's show page at planetary.org slash radio, but you can find it at planetary.org pretty easily. And we will put up a link to this brand new Planetary Science and Astrobiology Decadal Report from the National Academies. Casey, thank you so much. Delighted, Matt. He is our chief advocate and the senior space policy advisor for the Planetary Society. I love entering the great hall that is the temporary home of the Space Shuttle Endeavor. The California Science Center will eventually mount the orbiter vertically, but for now it is still just above your head, as if it was about to touch down. The dramatic Yuri's Night lighting heightened the sense of awe I always feel when I stand beneath that spaceship. Off to the side was the VIP area where I'd conduct interviews. Robert Picardo is a member of the Planetary Society's Board of Directors, but you probably know him better as the holographic doctor on Star Trek Voyager, to say nothing of scores of other roles. Bob was joined by his good friend and fellow Voyager cast member, Tim Russ, who played the stoic Vulcan Tuvok. As you'll hear, Tim has enjoyed a long relationship with the nonfiction version of our universe. Tim Russ, I don't know if you remember, I was at your house once with my daughters. They wanted to steal your Vulcan ears. <laughs> yes, uh, I do recall that, as a matter of fact. And I think I only have maybe two or three pairs of those left. <laughs> you got to hang on to those. Yes, those indeed. Are priceless. <laughs> Bob Ricardo, do I remember correctly that it was Tim and Andre Bermanis who sort of brought you into the real space world? Well while you were doing Voyager? Well, I think, really, during the original run of Voyager, I was approached by um, the two then-surviving co-founders of the Planetary Society, ah. Lewis Friedman and Bruce Murray, uh, to do a fundraising event, and Tim was part of that. It was uh, to celebrate uh, the great Ray Bradbury's 70th birthday, I believe, the, and there were some other actors you may have heard of, like Charlton Heston and John Rhys-Davies, and, uh, and then a bunch of us Star Trek folk, and, and we, we did uh, a reading together. And uh, that's when I first sort of got captivated um, by space, was my experience joining the advisory board of the Planetary Society. But Tim is inspirational because Tim is the only member of our Voyager crew who really what came into the show being a space fanatic and a very accomplished amateur astronomer. So he, he was, I think, an inspiration to the whole group. Tim, you are an amateur astronomer. In fact, if anybody hasn't seen it, there is a terrific Planetary Society video that's available on our YouTube channel of the two of you 
at a rather prominent uh, telescope here in Los Angeles. You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, at the Griffiths Observatory. Um, it's a big refractor that they have up there, and it's, uh, it's a classic piece of work. You couldn't duplicate it today if you tried to. Uh, and yes, Bob and I were up there for an event a while back, and it was really quite nice. It's hilarious. But we did a joke video where, uh, and this was our, uh, our wonderful Planetary Society producer, Merck Boyan's yeah. idea, was that Tim would not recognize me anymore <laughs> um, after, uh, after we hadn't worked together in a few years. And, uh, and I had to show him a picture of the cast so he would remember that I was in the show with him. It was quite funny and very popular uh, as a planetary post. And also... Tim's dry humor, which of course was on display often in, in uh, Voyager, was never shown to better effect here. <laughs> dry humor is best for Vulcans, I suppose. It's best yeah. for me in general, yeah. <laughs> all right, the reason we're here tonight, all these, I don't know, a couple of thousand people are here, I guess. This is not your first jury's night for either of you, is it? Uh, no, it is not. I've been here uh, a couple times before. I think this is my... Fifth one at the uh, at the California Space Center, but I was also to one of the earlier ones. I'm so glad that we're here, though, under this. Oh, great of course. Yeah, this is a great location Endeavor. for it. Yeah, no, yeah, to it's stand really under the Endeavor shuttle, it just puts everybody just in a wonderful. It is endlessly fascinating. Uh, discoveries are made all the time and revised often as well. And the theories about why we're here, how we got here where we might be going, just as a life form. And that, to me, is endlessly fascinating. Did you see the gentleman here who's actually dressed as the James Webb Space Telescope? Not seen that just yet. Um, well, you need to circulate, because there are some wonderful cosplay uh, here. Yeah, uh, just a little bit, I've noticed. And yeah. a, a lot of women in dresses with, uh, you know, with a lot of bright lights under them and all that. <laughs> and, including uh, your lovely wife. Including, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a, the, the nebula dress is a really, is a cool idea. It's just so much fun. It's a great, it's a party celebrating the first human in space, and and through that, it's celebrating our all of humanity's longtime fascination with looking up at the stars, and now extending our presence in space. So, if you're a Star Trek fan, then you have no business not coming to Yuri's Night if you're yeah. anywhere near a Yuri's Night celebration. And this is a worldwide celebration. I thought it was local, and it's not. It's not just here. It's everywhere around the world. They're going to that they celebrate uh, the first man in space. And it's quite remarkable. And here we are preparing again for a very long journey, uh, as it were, a manned mission to Mars and back to the moon, as it were, very soon. So we, as a species, are going to become spacefaring on a fairly regular basis. I hope I'm around long enough to see some of that start. You and me both. Thank you, gentlemen. You got a it. pleasure, Matt, always. My pleasure. Thank you. Robert Picardo and Tim Russ with me at the 2022 Yuri's Night Celebration in Los Angeles. I talked with many other people that evening. You can hear them in the podcast version of this week's show at planetary.org slash radio and elsewhere. I have to share a portion of my last conversation of the night. George and Loretta Whitesides were just a couple of grad students back in 2001 when I joined them and a handful of other Yuri's Night founders to plan the first party. George Whitesides would go on to become the leader of the National Space Society, Chief of Staff at NASA, and CEO of Virgin Galactic. Biologist Loretta Hidalgo Whitesides became a flight director for the Zero-G Corporation, would appear in James Cameron's IMAX documentary Aliens of the Deep, and create Spacekind, 
as in Humankind, her program for future leaders. Uh, Founders, fellow founders, 21 years in, still going strong, still a hell of a party. I've lost my voice, as usual. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it was an amazing night, and I just couldn't be more happy with how it all went. And there were so many people came out and they, they got to feel the Yuri's Night magic. So I hope that keeps spreading and more people come because it's a really unique event. There are so many new facets to what's going on here. Cosmic Odyssey being one of them. Astro Access, why is this something that you're putting your time into? I, I really do believe that we should aspire to have space be accessible to all people, right? And that's, that's what um, I think our time is is all about is opening up space to more more people right and and one key part of that is folks who might have a disability or some other something and you know the fact of the matter is that space should be open to those people and and more to the point designing space vehicles for those people i think will make those space vehicles safer and better and more usable for everybody just like they have down here on earth with curb cuts and things like that Exactly. And so now's the perfect time to be thinking about this, you know, with the new generation of space stations being designed and all these new space vehicles that are starting to come to fruition. So it's a great time to be thinking about this and to sort of inculcate that idea into the space industry. Cosmic Odyssey, does that mesh with this somehow? It's it's a separate organization, but is this sort of where Yuri's Night is evolving into? Absolutely. We're taking on a lot of new projects. And, and Nico Blanks is as uh, the SpaceKind alumni, who is uh, an undergraduate at Embry-Riddle, and he came to me with this idea, and he's like, when I got cancer, I had an inoperable brain tumor when I was a kid, and you know, the Austin Hatcher Foundation sent me to space camp, and it changed my life. It taught me that just having this happening doesn't mean that, that I can't do great things. And uh, now he's, he just got hired at Blue Origin, and he, so after graduation. So it's just been amazing to get to, so he's, as he says, you know, pay it forward. It does represent an evolution of what Yuri's Night, from what it was when, you know, we, we got this started 21 years ago. I love telling Did people... Did you help this. start, Matt? Yeah. I, I am extremely proud of that. I was going to wear my dancing Snoopy, but I couldn't find him. That was the <laughs> award you guys gave me that year. But again, it represents an evolution of what this is about, but it's always been for the people, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's always been connecting all great people that Loretta's managed to connect and, and art and science and space and music and all these great things. It's such a wonderful connection point. So it, it takes a village. You know, we've had, we had 400 volunteers here tonight making this party happen. And we have incredible teams, volunteer teams, that put together the Cosmic Odyssey program as well. It's just, it's, like I said, we like to power everything with love. But what I'm really excited about right now is there's going to be another total eclipse of the sun coming to the United States, April 8th, 2024. So we're like, oh, well, Yuri's nights, that's, you know, a slam dunk. We got to do. So I'm already envisioning like a three-day music festival in the hill country of Texas. We bring all the space actors from Boca Chica and all the Blue Origin folks from Van Horn. And we invite the whole space community to come and take four minutes of uh, the most majestic, powerful experience of the overview effect you can have on Earth. So that's something to look forward to a couple of years from now. You said on stage today that you think people will be celebrating Yuri's Night 10,000 years from now. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we're also really excited because Disney Junior has an animated series for kids called Miles from Tomorrowland, and they've got an episode 
called Yuri's Night, all about uh, Yuri's Night celebrated. I don't know how many years that is in the future, but they're out in space zooming around and having parties and uh, helping rock stars get to their gigs when their spaceships break down. And uh, it does inspire me. Like I, I, With the, the renaissance we're seeing in space exploration right now, things are just going exponential. And just so many flights last year, you know, we had the um, Axiom 1 flight, yesterday and Inspiration4 flight last year. We had Bezos's flight and Branson's flight. And it's just, uh, it's so exciting. It's an exciting time to be in space. I love it. George, National Space Society, NASA, Virgin Galactic, where you're still active, right? What's next for you? I'm trying to figure it out, but I do think that um, the problem of our time is taking care of uh, Spaceship Earth. You know, we have 20 or 30 years to figure out how we're going to get carbon emissions down to net zero. And so I think that'll probably be something that I spend a fair amount of time on. I'm not surprised. Thank you both for all that you've done and for uh, helping us end the evening here at Yuri's Night uh, 2022, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. 22. Yeah. That's where we're at. And Matt, just one of of the memories that I have of your involvement is editing the initial Yuri's Night video (laughs) on like a weird MPEG thing in your living room in 2001 or whatever it was. And so really grateful to you and everybody at Planetary for everything you've done to help support this outreach event over the years. Thank you for letting me and us be a part of it for all these years, guys. Uh, Great evening. Thanks for the party. You're welcome. That's good to have you back. George Whitesides and Loretta Hidalgo Whitesides. I'm grateful to them and the hundreds of other volunteers who made the 2022 Yuri's Night a great night. Bruce Betts and What's Up start in a minute. This is Planetary Radio. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art, take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family. Really any creative activity that's space-related. We invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks! There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society, Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, is is here. He's ready and waiting to deliver the night sky to us. Uh, happy post-Yuri's night, Bruce. Happy that to you as well. Matt Kaplan, is that you? <laughs> yeah, every week at just about this time. Hi, there's cool stuff in that morning sky. Have you seen it, Matt? Do you get up early? Do you go out and look to the east? If you want to specify the early morning, no, I have not lately, no. Well, for those who do, it is super cool right now in low in the morning east. We've got a bunch of bright planets all lined up from lower left to upper right. We have very bright Jupiter, super bright Venus, and then dimmer Mars, but reddish, and dimmer Saturn, yellowish, all in a line pretty evenly spaced right about the time we're putting this out. But Jupiter 
and Venus are going to go snuggling. They're going to snuggle close together, very, very close together, closer than the diameter of a full moon. Uh, They'll be doing that on April 30th. So check out the two brightest planets in the night sky. Finally, on April 30th, there is also a partial solar eclipse visible from the southeastern Pacific Ocean and southern South America. And a couple weeks later, some of us are getting a total lunar eclipse. But we'll check back on that. Let us move on. To this week in space history, it was 1972 that Apollo 16 landed, uh, took off again, came back, landed on Earth So after visiting humans to the moon. And we may just come back to that in just a moment. But first, 32 years, if I'm doing the math right, which I am, Hubble Space Telescope was deployed. Good Lord. Here's a request from uh, regular listener Laura Dodd in California. Might Bruce be able to announce random space facts with a mid-Atlantic accent, like a 1940s-era newsflash? <laughs> I, I don't know if I can, but uh, let's try. Newsflash, random space fact. In San Diego, California, the Apollo 16 command module today on May 5th, 1972, was involved in an explosion in a hangar. That's right, the Apollo 16 command module that took astronauts to and from the moon just days ago was next to a cart that was taking fuel off the command module and then flushing the system. Something got overpressurized and boom! But don't worry, people. Everyone will uh, will heal. There were, however, 40 windows blown out. More importantly, there were 50, 40. 50, what was that? Uh, let me get just a second. Uh, yes. Okay. It's 46 people were sent to the hospital for observation, and one person had a broken kneecap. But uh, fortunately, they'll all recover. However, uh, there was a hole blown in the hangar roof 250 feet above and some small damage done to the Apollo 16 capsule. That's it for our news flash. Back to our regular programming. News to me, and therefore a terrific news bulletin. <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion, Laura. Well timed, well played. All right, we'll do the trivia contest. Alphabetically, what moon of a planet is last? How do we do, Matt? From Dave Fairchild, our poet laureate in Kansas, Umbriel was on the list, the final in the line. Since 1851, it sat and said, the end is mine. And then 2000 came along with Emer, Y-M-I-R, in its wake. When sorting alphabetically, it takes the bottom cake. So Emer, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And and it's correct. Yes, it is indeed correct. Uh, Emer... However, it's properly pronounced as an 18-kilometer object, little moon around Saturn, one of its uh, more than 80 that we've discovered so far. Congratulations, Anthony Lewis. First-time winner, long-time listener. He is going to get that beautiful Planetary Society kick asteroid set, including the 18-by-24-inch poster, a pin, and four stickers from Chop Shop that you can find at chopshopstore.com where all of the Planetary Society uh, merchandise is. Congratulations, uh, Anthony, who adds, happy belated birthday, Matt. Apparently, I share the uh, same birthday as his dad. So uh, happy birthday, uh, Anthony's dad, as well. I did not know that. (laughs) All right, here's your question for next time. Who was the youngest person to walk on the moon at the time of walking on the moon? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. I will give you a hint. 
It is one of 12 people. <laughs> Boy, that really narrows it down, doesn't it? You've got until the 27th, that'd be Wednesday, April 27, at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us this answer. And you've been asking about it. We're going to offer the winner this time a Planetary Society kick asteroid rubber asteroid. So uh, let, the, <laughs> let the enthusiastic submissions begin. We're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about Newsflash. Matt Kaplan gives away rubber asteroid. Back to you, Jim. Film at 11. I don't say that anymore. He's Bruce Betts. <laughs> He's here with us every week. He's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, and he brings us what's up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members who know how to party for space wherever they are. Mark Hilverda and Ray Paletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astro.